This is the Lost Start of Communication, hosted by Molly and Trisha. Welcome back, everyone, to the Lost Start of Communication. Molly and I are here today talking about an incredibly important topic, which is self-talk. In order for us to be effective communicators with other people, we must first know how or have an understanding of how we communicate with ourselves. There's been a lot of research to show that people who have a stronger mind-to-body connection within themselves actually have stronger self-to-other connections and more empathy as a result because both of those things are processed in the same area of the brain. We won't spend much time talking about the body connection, but we will talk about how we can communicate with ourselves and our own thoughts and feelings in order to help us better express ourselves to other people. So what you're saying is basically if we can learn to um, understand our self-talk and be more aware of that, we do better communicating with others? Absolutely. And it's so important because at the end of the day, communication is a two-way street. We can do everything in our power to elicit a response from another person, but Ultimately, we can't control if that other person's response actually is what we intended to try to elicit. The only thing that we have 100% control over is our self-talk. So Molly, what do I mean when I'm saying self-talk? The way I think of self-talk is what that little voice inside your head is always saying to yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, It could be saying things like, I need to get X, Y, and Z done today. It could be saying, wow, you're a rock star. You just aced that test or you just killed that presentation. Or it could be saying things like, you're lazy. I can't believe you're still in bed. Get up and you're stupid. (laughs) All of those things are things that self-talk are. And in my mind, it's both um, something that's passively done, something that we just kind of notice ourselves doing, but other times, something that we're going to talk about a lot in this episode, how we can be more active in our self-talk and how we can work on what we're saying to ourselves and um, changing that pattern and just learning how to be better at talking with ourselves. Um, Just like you were saying, it really is the only kind of thing we can't we can control um communicating with someone is ourselves I don't know if that made any sense but the only person you can control communicating with is yourself because you are on both sides of that yeah and I liked what you said about it being both passive and active for the most part our self-talk is a running dialogue that we have throughout the day And the danger here lies in the fact that a lot of that happens subconsciously and people aren't even realizing the terrible things they're telling themselves throughout the day. I often catch myself saying, ugh, I'm so dumb, I'm so stupid, how did I do that? I'm such an idiot. And saying really unkind things to myself, but it's once we start to build our awareness of that running dialogue, of the way we treat ourselves, that we're able to take steps to actively change that and shift our perspective to have more positive self-talk to make us feel better and to make us better communicators with other people. Totally. I feel like there's a lot of times when I will be doing that negative self-talk and I will realize it like three minutes in and I'm like, wow. 
I've been beating myself for the past, beating myself up for the past three minutes and not even noticing it. And then once I do notice it, I'm upset and (laughs) in a bad mood and sad about whatever I did. So I think it's a lot of what you're saying. And when it comes to self-talk in general, it's impossible to talk about self-talk without bringing up self-compassion. True, we're talking a lot about how the negative self-talk happens in our day and how I'm sure like all of our listeners and I know me and you are super impacted by it. Um, And the only way to really start changing that negative self-talk is to start using something what you're calling is self-compassion. If you want to go more into that, I feel like that'd be awesome. Absolutely. So self-compassion is this idea pioneered by Dr. Kristen Neff. She basically says that we have the golden rule that everyone knows, which is treat others the way you want to be treated. However, we often treat other people a lot better than we treat ourselves. I -hmm. would not ever talk to Molly the way that I talk to myself sometimes. I would never belittle her and call her stupid and call her an idiot. But I do those things to myself all the time. I wouldn't be friends with me. And so if we want to get better at self-talk, we need to embrace this feeling of self-compassion, which means being as kind to ourselves, as encouraging to ourselves, as gentle on ourselves as we would be on a friend. And the way I like to think of it, too, is you're the only person you're always going to have a relationship with throughout your whole life. You're the only person that you will always be talking to continuously from when you're born to when you die. You're always with yourself. So why would we be talking to ourselves like a bad friend would talk to us or a bad person would talk to us? Because that's just going to get us in a negative headspace and we're not going to be able to be our best selves. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's really important, like you're saying, to kind of start noticing what those thoughts are um, to figure out what those patterns are that you're saying to yourself and even just realizing the kind of things that you're saying to yourself. I do this a lot. Um, I go to therapy and a lot of times, you know, the therapist asks like, what were you thinking in that moment? And I'm like, I don't know. But when I really start thinking about it, I'll start verbalizing what I was thinking. And it's horrible. (laughs) Like even just saying it out loud, is like, oh gosh, like that's not nice. And that's not something I would ever say out loud to anybody else. And it feels safe in my head, but it's it's not safe because you're telling yourself these things. Yeah, and when we constantly do that over time, especially if we're not even realizing how many times a day we're saying these negative things to ourselves, that can really take a toll on our energy. That can take a toll on our communication with other people. If we're used to saying really negative things to ourselves, who's to say we won't take that out on another person too? So embracing this spirit of self-compassion, treating yourself as you would a friend is the first way that we can shift our perspective of making self-talk a negative thing and turn it into something positive. Um, I feel like it's a lot of abstract talk. An example probably could be like, let me think. If, for example, um, shoot, I lost. So, for example, if we have a problem and we're feeling down about ourselves or beating ourselves up over doing something wrong. Let's say I missed an important deadline at work and now I'm beating myself up and saying, I can't believe I did that. I'm so stupid. I'm such a failure. And let's say I don't have a friend available 
to call at that moment, the way that I can calm myself down and change my self-talk is to imagine that Molly called me with this problem. So I'm imagining Molly's here saying, I missed this deadline. I'm an idiot. What would I say to her? I would say, no, Molly, you're not an idiot. You made a mistake. It's fine. You don't need to, you were not defined by this one thing that you did. You are not an idiot. You did something silly, but let's figure out why and let's see what we can learn from it so that we don't do it next time. And if I were to have that conversation with myself, I would be able to pull myself up out of that slump to then go about my day and not miss the next deadline. Mm -hmm. Totally. I think that's a really good point. Something that I like to kind of have as a rule to frame these more compassionate self-talk strategies is to reframe the way you're saying it. Um, I don't really know exactly how to explain it besides giving an example. So for example, if I were to miss going to the gym one morning, my natural passive self-talk voice would say, Molly, you are so lazy. You're never going to get the abs you want or whatever because you missed today and it's just worthless. Go eat a cookie for breakfast because nothing's ever going to change. That's probably what my voice would say to myself. So I'm defining that whole, my, I'm defining my whole self as that one moment. So I'm saying I am stupid, I am lazy, and I am this whole new personality trait because of this one event. Um, but kind of the example, just like you gave, changing that to being more realistic and objective about what is actually happening. So changing that self-talk pattern to, Molly, you had a really lazy morning. Next morning slash tomorrow morning, (laughs) try and change that. And there's actually, um, I've been working on this actual example (laughs) for the past three months because my whole schedule has changed with my new job. So I'm trying to figure out my gym schedule. And for the past probably two to three months, I've been using this really negative self-talk with myself. And I haven't been working out as much because I am putting myself down and saying it's not even worth it. You're like just being lazy. You're a lazy person. Just feed into that. This morning, I framed my thought. I thought last night, Molly, you're not going to have time to go to the gym tomorrow. It's going to be okay because you can do it another day. But tomorrow, use that time to catch up on work and record this podcast. And using that kind of self-talk to make things okay. And again, just like you're saying, talk to yourself like you would a friend and be compassionate and caring for yourself. Yeah. And what I, what this also does and something you pointed out when you said it made it more objective, when we start talking to ourselves and treating ourselves like we would a friend, we give ourselves the ability to step outside of the situation because when something is happening to us, when we didn't go to the gym, we have emotions about that. But if we're dealing with it or helping someone else, deal with it, then we're less impacted by those emotions and we're able to look at the problem more objectively. So then stepping outside yourself, you can say, am I lazy? No, I had a lazy morning. I did a lazy thing, but now let's think of a practical solution so that this is not all in vain. And now what I'm going to do is physically schedule in time to go to the gym tomorrow morning. And then by forgiving ourselves, we are 
shifting the perspective to a more positive one because positivity and success begets more positivity and success. So to some people, I've gotten feedback before when I've talked about this that people say, yeah, well, that's just kind of babying myself. Like if I don't push myself harder, no one else is going to do it. But there's a difference between pushing yourself and beating yourself up. If you continually beat yourself up and never forgive yourself, then you're going to get stuck in a rut and it'll be very, very difficult to climb out of that. Whereas if you forgive yourself, say, okay, I didn't go to the gym this morning. I had a lazy morning, but I'm not going to let that happen again. You're already starting from a higher place so that going to the gym tomorrow is going to feel a lot better because you're not fighting an uphill battle. You're not going against your resistance that you're putting on yourself. You're making the pathway easier and more positive for you so that you want to go to the gym. Exactly. I think you brought up a good point too, like saying um, people view this as babying yourself or being too easy on yourself. How can you change your positive, how can you change your self-talk to be more motivating for yourself? A way to do that is pepping yourself up and realizing how awesome and great you are. Yeah. I'm going to want to do more things if I say, Molly, you're freaking awesome. Like, I can't believe you just woke up at 5 a.m., finished all your notes, worked out, and all these things. It's amazing. Like, do that again tomorrow. You rock. I can't wait for you to, like, go tell the world that you did all these things. Whatever. Like, pepping yourself up and using positive self-talk, I honestly think that's a way bigger motivator than negative self-talk. Yeah, and that's so important because, like, Everyone else in the world is going to be hard on us. We need to be, except maybe our moms, but we need to be nice to ourselves. We need to be our biggest cheerleaders. We can, of course, rely on our friends and social network for support. But at the end of the day, we have to be able to do that for ourselves too. Because if we are exclusively relying on other people to pull ourselves up and out of our slumps, it won't be successful because we can't depend 100% on everyone else. Some of that has to come from within and being intrinsically motivated, like Molly mentioned, is so much more powerful in most cases than trying to do it just for someone else. We have to have that desire and that fuel within us in order to succeed. And I think something that is really important to talk about, Mm -hmm. thinking about all these things, seeing how great our self-talk could be and how important all of this is, is to take a step even back and realize how hard this is. Mm-hmm. I personally have been working on this and I'm continuing to work on this probably since I was aware of myself talk, like elementary school. I've always been so hard on myself. Everyone always tells me, Molly, you need to be gentler on yourself. I used to, um, and a, a hilarious example of me being so hard on myself is I would never go bowling as a child. <laughs> well, I would, but I would never end well. I always ended in tears when I was bowling Aww. because every single person was always doing better than me, and I'd always get in my cycle of cyclic negative self-talk and say to myself, you suck, you suck, you suck. And I would start crying in a corner every single like bowling event (laughs) when I was a child. And that just kind of shows like how these kind of negative self-talks can beat you up. I was 
out doing something, going bowling, and everyone was being obviously very nice to me, but I was so upset with myself Mm -hmm. and um, using all that negative self-talk that I can remember even now that I would end up crying and so upset. Yeah, it seems like it really lowered your self-esteem. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's funny. Actually, sorry to totally cut you off, but realization, like... The only person who really lowered my self-esteem was myself. There was no external drivers for that. It was all me as my own self beating myself up to make me less confident. It's so crazy that we do that even from such a young age. And so that's why it's so hard to to reframe, like you mentioned. But the other thing I want to point out about this is... We're not saying that you need to talk yourself up so much that you have an inflated ego. So there, there's a balance to be had. So Molly was at one end of the extreme where she talked herself down so much that she had no self-esteem. Poor Molly is a fabulous bowler. And, <laughs> and there's the other extreme where if we talk ourselves up too much, then we get an inflated ego. So we want to keep ourselves in check here. But in general, I feel like most people are harder on themselves than they need to be. And if we can, in any case, if we can start to observe the self-talk that we're actually doing, then we'll start to notice if we're being really hard on ourselves or if we're being too easy on ourselves and setting ourselves up for failure. If we constantly tell ourselves we're the best, we're the best, we're the best, and then we don't succeed in life, we're going to get slapped in the face and realize that too. So it's important that our self-talk is forgiving but also motivating and encouraging and somewhat realistic. Yeah. I don't know many... Do you know people who, like, over-self-talk themselves or, like, talk themselves too positively? Because I've never... I don't know. I've never heard that. I don't. I could just imagine someone with a really mm-hmm. big ego who thinks, like, oh, I got that, you know, but it's usually superficial anyway. Yeah. And thinking of, like, social media these days of, like, look at me, <laughs> all this positive things. Yeah. People can probably put on that facade, too. But, yeah, definitely you have to keep it in check. I was going to say, thinking about what you just said, like, having to become more aware of your talk, aware of your talks, aware of the self-talk you're using, um, that can also be really hard to even notice that you're doing these things. Like me and Trisha said early in the episode, like, it takes me two or three minutes to even realize the downward spiral I'm using to talk to myself in. That didn't make sense. Yeah, but you know what I mean. Yeah, that makes sense. So what are some strategies that we can give people to start to observe and become aware of their self-talk? Well, something that I try to use, it doesn't always work. Slash, I don't do it as much as I need to ever. <laughs> but in theory, it's a very good thing, and I need to start doing it more. Um, but it's meditation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The whole practice of meditation is um, realizing the thoughts that you're having and not, it's, it's basically the very first initial step. You are taking that time to notice the thoughts you're having and not yet changing them, just taking that space and that couple minutes a day to notice the thoughts going through your head. And then you can kind of take note of what's happening and notice patterns that you're thinking in your own space. Mm-hmm. Whenever I meditate, I typically end up going into a spiral, even just sitting there and listening to a guided meditation, I will end up going to a spiral of shoulds and to-do lists and all these things. So it helps me because it helps me notice what kind of things I'm thinking and 
then I can become more aware of them and then eventually start to change them. I'm still in the process of changing them. It's really hard for me. This is not easy at all. But again, becoming more aware of it is the first step. What I like about meditation is that it gives us a chance to be less distracted by the rest of the world because often if we're in the middle of a million things, we don't have time to sit and really notice and observe our thoughts. Mm -hmm. One thing that helped me become a lot more aware of my own self-talk and can really give a person a lot of insight. This takes, this is something you really have to dedicate yourself to doing if you want to do it, but really, really powerful way to figure out how you're, what you're thinking is to learn another language. I speak Italian and when I had only been studying Italian for a semester, I studied abroad and I didn't know how to say should. I always wanted to say I should have done this and it killed me that I didn't know how to say it. And so I'd constantly be asking people, how do I say this? It doesn't make sense. How do I articulate that? Because we hadn't gotten to that tense yet in the grammar lessons that I had. And then I realized why do I need that word should so badly? Do I really need to tell people that I should have ordered the ravioli instead of the spaghetti? Do I really need to say I should have done this instead of that? And I realized I was using this word should so much and obsessing over the thing that I didn't do or the thing that I did wrong. And that's not really productive at the end of the day because I guess I can learn from that and say, all right, next time I'm going to get the ravioli. But dwelling and obsessing over the fact that I should have done that is not gaining anything for me. Yes, 100% yes. (laughs) I have not learned another language past my like two or three years of Spanish in high school. (laughs) But I think bringing up that should thing is so important. I, when I went to therapy, when I started therapy a couple of years ago, that was the first thing that the therapist pointed out to me. And she's like, you say should a lot. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I never noticed. And she would like start to look at me and like give me a glance whenever I said the word. And I started becoming way more aware of it. Kind of like how you became way more aware of it when you were speaking in Italian and you literally couldn't. (laughs) You had to change your pattern of speaking. Um, But that should word is so, so powerful because it's negative. (laughs) It's just telling yourself, like, what you did was wrong and here's why, you know? And instead of saying should, I think a really good replacement thing to do is just kind of be more aware of what objectively happens. So, example, instead of saying, oh, I should have had a smoothie this morning instead of pancakes. Wow, this episode are turning a lot about, like, healthy eating and, like, (laughs) body image. But anyways, (laughs) I should have had a smoothie instead of pancakes. You could say, tomorrow morning I'll have a smoothie. Done. Exactly. Because, think about it, if you were telling me, like, the other day, for example, you're like, maybe I shouldn't have made this move. Mm, but yep. <laughs> what is that going to do? Like you did it. And so you got to learn from it. And so you just got to keep going. And so I would never say to you, yeah, you shouldn't have done that unless it's a, <laughs> a learning experience. Sometimes it's helpful to say, 
perhaps this wasn't your best decision in life, but here's how we can rectify that. And it's so much easier to say to someone else than it is to say to ourselves. And so this is why observing your thoughts and really, really working on practicing self-compassion is the number one point of this episode. Yeah. And I think the first step is always self-awareness in anything you're doing. So best advice probably is just listen, start being self-aware of what you're talking about. Okay. So another thing that's really helpful in our process of shifting this perspective and embracing self-compassion is talking to ourselves in the second person. So for example, a lot of Molly's self-talk that she's been saying, she's been saying, Molly, you're so blah, blah, blah. You should have eaten a smoothie instead of pancakes. Whereas in a lot of my examples, I've said, I'm so stupid. I should have done this. But there's a lot of research to say that talking to yourself in the second person or writing when you're journaling, journaling in the second person is actually a lot more beneficial. So something I do on a daily basis actually is I journal. I'm a big fan of writing to express myself. And this is really helpful in gaining awareness of the way that we treat ourselves is to write if that's your thing, if you enjoy it. But in my journal now, instead of saying, I went to the park today and I loved it and I was so happy, I'll say, you went to the park today and you loved it and you were so happy and here's what you did and here's what you learned and blah, blah, blah. And it feels a little funny when you first start it because you feel like a crazy person talking to yourself, but it's so, so helpful. And it's especially when you're having a negative emotion and instead of saying like, I hate everything, it's easier to write, you are having a rough week. And it's so much easier to be gentle on yourself when you take yourself out of the first person and put yourself into the second person. Or I've even read that talking in the third person, like, she went to the park today is helpful. I haven't tried that exactly. I find the second person to be really helpful. I think that's so cool because like, it sounds like you're talking to another person. So it takes another thing we're saying that (coughs) it takes into that other point we were saying that it's so much harder to talk negatively to another person as opposed to ourselves. So you're making yourself talk to quote unquote another person. So it's harder to be meaner to yourself. Exactly. I'm so much less likely to write Trisha, you are an idiot. (laughs) (laughs) Trisha, you did a stupid thing. Here's what we can do next time. And writing it out, I find is very helpful in building that awareness because as we mentioned, it's harder to keep track of our thoughts. So I know that people also recommend self-talk cards and reading out things in front of the mirror every day. Do you have any experience with that, Molly? Um, I've heard a lot of podcasts about using affirmations for yourself in the morning. Um, I personally have never tried it, so I cannot um, state their validity, but... From what I've heard from other people, it's something really, really good to do. And it's kind of like faking it till you make it. Um, Saying things like, saying what you want your future self to do. So, for example, if I am a speech pathologist, which I am, and I'm having a harder group that day that I have to work with, something I could do as a self-affirmation in the morning could be, 
I am an awesome therapist and I rock that 545 group that I'm going to see today because I know exactly what I have to do and I'm going to be confident to do it. And if you kind of use those affirmations to yourself, there's research to show that you are more likely to fulfill those affirmations and be that person that you are explaining yourself to be. Mm -hmm. I think that's really important. And then even if you're not in the morning doing affirmations at the end of the day, it's okay to, and it's really helpful and important to acknowledge the things that you did achieve and the things that you're grateful for. So saying I make, whenever I go home to visit my parents, I make everyone go around the table and say three things that they're grateful for. I didn't make this up. This is all over the internet as terms of positive psychology, but it's super helpful and something that we can even do on our own. So at the end of the day, say to yourself, three amazing things that happened to me today were I recorded a podcast episode with Molly. The instructor at my bar class told me I had great feet for dancing and I made some salmon. So (laughs) three great things. That's awesome. Um, Something else that I've heard Along those same lines, it has a lot to do with body image as well, but I think it's a really, really cool thing that I like sharing with a lot of people. I forget where I heard it, but it was, I want to say it was a podcast. I don't remember. Oh, it was a podcast. It was, yes. So there was a guest on a podcast and she was saying that in her elevator, the elevator is all mirrors around her. So she has a family of her husband and her kids and the elevator ride is like, 15 seconds down and they said every single morning or every time they're in the elevator they look at themselves and they quickly say three things about themselves that they enjoy and that kind of kicks off the positive self-talk so in the elevator they'll say I like my face your nose is beautiful and I like my jeans today go and they'll go around all three of them and say something about themselves to kick off that positive self-talk pattern so great and it's like with a little six-year-old and it's so cute I love it that's so important too going back to what you said about you are lowering your self-esteem about bowling. And it's so important to have the children say that for themselves because a mom can say, you're great at bowling, Molly, or your jeans look fabulous. But it's so much different for us to articulate that selves and say, I like my jeans today, or I'm good at bowling. And so getting, just putting ourselves in a position where we have to articulate it for ourselves instead of relying on that from someone else can help us become stronger, more emotionally intelligent, and all of those things that we talked about before. Totally, totally. I think thinking back on my bowling experience, people probably did try to do that. And I was like, no, you guys don't even know. La da 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 da. And I was so in my own head that I couldn't hear anything else. Yeah, and that's what we mentioned before about being more intrinsically motivated. It's so much more powerful. And you have to think, if you've been doing that for years and years and years, it does take time to change. But taking time to write out your thoughts or say them out loud or even just start to notice the way you're talking to yourself, actively practicing self-compassion is the place to start. And its effects are so, so enormous, not only for your communication with yourself, but for communicating with other people, because it does make you more empathetic towards other people. If you're more empathetic, you're kinder towards yourself and you understand your emotions, then understanding other people's feelings and relating to them is going to be so much easier and the world will just be a better place. <laughs> See, we're just fixing the world, Trisha. That's all we're doing. Oh, no that's all we're here for. No, we're obviously all going through this all on our own, and it's a huge, huge thing. We're so. together, too. 
What? We're all, you said we're going through this on our own, but we're all going through this together in our own way. Totally, totally. Cool. So what's some take-home homework, Molly, that you have for our listeners? I think my take-home homework is to become aware of how many times you say the word should. That's great. I love it. Because that's something I need to start doing more of, too. But I'm a little self-aware. You're so self-aware. No, you're so good. When we talk on the phone, Molly and I will both be like, I should have, and then we both stop. We're like, nope, nope, shouldn't, can't say that. Spanish (laughs) word, bad word, bad word for our self-talk. It's kind of like that Pavlov thing where, like, I get (laughs) shocked every time I say should because it feels like that because I'm always like, oh, nope, change, change. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So you're very self-aware. But I think that's a great tip for anyone who hasn't thought about that or figure out what word it is that you say all the time. Mm Mm-hmm. My homework for people would be to write a letter to yourself and say, dear, your name, and just write whatever you want. You can talk about your day, your week, you can talk about how you're feeling, but just make sure that you're labeling your emotions instead of calling yourself those emotions. So for example, instead of saying, I'm depressed, you can say, I'm feeling depressed these days because of blah, blah, blah. Or I am anxious about work. You can say, I'm feeling some anxiety about the presentation that I have to give next week. Make it specific. Label your emotions. Don't label yourself. And do it in the second person. So you're writing a letter to yourself. And then observe observe the things that you say to yourself. And be nice. And then practice that self-compassion. Totally. And I think that's a cool way to kind of look back at what you're saying and really become more self-aware of those patterns of thoughts that you have mm-hmm. cool yeah and then it's really fun too being a person who writes a lot in journals it's so fun to look back at myself five years ago and see the things that I used to the way that I used to talk to myself and the way that I talk to myself now and some things are the same and I'm like wow I never changed that and other things it's like wow I, I'm really I'm I'm working my way up there <laughs> as is life yeah thank you everybody for listening I think that's all we have to say for today about self-talk again email us with any kind of things you had thoughts about this episode experiences you want to share advice you need um, just anything you want to share that email is thelostartofcommunication at gmail.com that's close it's so no the it's lostartofcommunication at gmail.com if you have any thoughts about your own self-talk or you're needing help reframing something we would be so happy to help you with that and uh, please feel free to reach out and thank you so much for listening awesome see you guys later